This is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 68. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to explore philosophy, psychology, and science with an emphasis on the great 18th century philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. Now, on to the episode. In this episode, I'm going to do a deep dive into psychologist Carl Jung's famous personality type theory and combine it with Hegel's notion of freedom and spirit to come up with some original speculation on my own part regarding a new dimension of personality that I think it uncovers, what I'm calling the creative versus the receptive dimension. This episode will cover how I derive this new aspect of personality from the work of both Jung and Hegel. But first, before we get into Jung's theory of personality type, a bit on the person himself. Jung was born in 1875 in Switzerland and trained as a physician. He began a correspondence with Sigmund Freud, the founder of psychoanalysis, in 1904. Both Freud and Jung together are considered the founders of modern psychotherapy. Freud, in fact, said the younger Jung would be his successor in this burgeoning field. However, the two eventually had a break a pretty bad breakup, which centered primarily on two elements. First, Freud's concept of libido, of sexuality. Essentially, Freud saw it as the cornerstone of personality development, and Jung thought there was much more going on. Second, there was their difference, uh, their different view on the unconscious. Freud saw it as just a repository of repressed desires and nothing more, while Jung saw it as a gateway to something much deeper, the collective unconscious, which we discussed in detail in episode 49 of this podcast. Jung wrote extensively on many aspects of mind and psychology, but what I will be focusing on today is his theory of personality types. Now, personality type theories have existed for millennia, going back to the four humors of Galen, who was a second century Greek physician. However, it is really Jung who put personality type on the map. In fact, he coined the term introvert and extrovert, which are in common language today. His theory was first expressed in his landmark 1921 book entitled Psychological Types. Essentially, the book proposes four main psychological functions. Two of them are judgmental functions, thinking and feeling, and two of them are perceptual functions, sensation and intuition. And I did an entire episode on these four psychological functions back in episode 34. And in that episode, I also compared Jung's four functions to the analogy George Gurdjieff used of the horse-drawn carriage, where the carriage represented the body or sensation, the horse represents the emotions or feelings, the driver represents the thinking process, and the person in the coach represents the intuition. Now, what was breakthrough here was that Jung proposed that everyone has a dominant function, either sensation, feelings, thought, or intuition, and that the opposite function is actually suppressed in the unconscious. Whatever is opposite to the dominant one, that becomes more of a shadow type of, of um, function to the individual. Now, a good way to look at this is as a cross, with intuition at the top of the cross and sensation at the bottom of the cross. Thinking would be on the right side of the horizontal line and feelings or emotions on the left side of the line. Picture yourself at the center of the cross, and you have to face one of the functions as your dominant function. 
and the one behind you is the one function you suppress. For example, if thinking is your dominant function, you would face to the right side of the cross facing the thinking function. And feelings or emotions would be behind your back, representing the shadow part of, of your uh, psychology. On your right side would be sensations, and on your left side, intuition, using the cross example. And just one of these functions, though, either on the right or the left, would be your secondary or auxiliary function. So someone whose dominant function was thinking might have sensation as a secondary function, or they might have intuition. Now, Jung also introduced the important notion of how the dominant function is expressed. It's either expressed in an introverted manner or an extroverted manner or attitude. So he saw four functions, intuition, thinking, sensation, and feeling, and whether they're expressed either introvertedly or extrovertedly. So that yields a total of eight eight personality types, an extroverted sensor, an introverted sensor, and so on. Now, Jung's personality types were picked up by a famous mother-daughter team, Catherine Cook Briggs and her daughter Isabel Briggs Myers. They used Jung's work as their basis, but added another dimension to create 16 personality types. They published their work in 1944 as as the Briggs-Myers type indicator, and then changed the name, they switched the name to Myers-Briggs type indicator in 1956. The Myers-Briggs test is very well known, and many of you have probably taken this test. I, for one, took it when I worked for a large organization years ago, and they had everyone in the company take the test to identify work styles, which was hoped that it would improve communication styles and better productivity with coworkers, among coworkers. And people came to know their type as identified by four letters. You may have heard these, such as ENFP and, and their 15 others. So, how did Myers and Briggs adapt Jung's functions specifically? Well, first, they kept the original four functions of Jung and presented them as two choices. Now, thinking versus feeling is one choice, one preference, and sensation versus intuition is a different second preference. Now, here's our first Big difference from Jung. Jung felt that only one of the four functions would be dominant, with a backup auxiliary function as secondary, whereas Myers-Briggs presents two preferences, thinking versus feeling, and then intuition versus sensation. It's two separate dimensions. Secondly, Jung has the major function of an individual being expressed in an introverted or extroverted manner, but Myers-Briggs adds this introvert-extra dimension as a third polarity on top of the thinking-feeling polarity and the sensor-intuitor polarity. So to repeat, with Jung, one of the four functions is dominant. But with Myers-Briggs, two of the four are considered primary. And as I said, they added in a third introvert-extrovert polarity as its own separate dimension. But that it doesn't stop there. They even added one more dimension to their system, a fourth dimension, which they call judgment versus perception. And this is unique to their system. And what this represents, this judgment versus perception, is an attitude toward one's outer life. A judger would rely more on either the thinking or feeling dimension, whereas the perceiver would rely more on the sensation-intuition dimension. 
A judger prefers rules and ways to make decisions through thought or emotions, where the perceiver is more spontaneous and open to new ideas and what is coming to them from either the inside, intuition, or from the outside, sensation. So, to recap, in Myers-Briggs, there are four polarities yielding 16 different types, which differ to some degree from Jung's original eight types. Basically, as I said, they separated the introvert-extrovert as a separate dimension and created the judger-perceiver dimension. And rather than a dominant and auxiliary function, they had a thinking-feeling dimension and a sensing-intuitive dimension as well. So that's the basics. Now, let's bring Hegel into the picture. I've discussed before Hegel's two different functions of thought, understanding and reason, which in German is uh, Verstand and Vernunft, and that understanding Verstand, common thinking, corresponds to the thinking function, whereas reason, vernunft, corresponds more to the intuitive function. Now, this is somewhat difficult to grasp. It's, it's hard to understand really what is meant by the intuitive function, but it's a critical part of Jung's whole psychology. And let's just spend a minute on intuition. Intuition for Jung was something beyond the ordinary and really lies at the heart of his psychology. This is very well expressed in the following quote, which I will now read. Quote, Intuition is central in the work, practice, and philosophical legacy of C.G. Jung. Jung was attracted to intuition as an extraordinary gift or function in the traditional sense. His personal and private use of intuition, and we know how extraordinarily intuitive he was, led Jung to fully incorporate intuition at the core of his psychology not only in his practice, but in the crucial intuitive form of empathy, but as we will see, also at the very heart of his theory. In 1921, Jung wrote Psychological Types, where intuition became one, the first of the four fundamental functions and types of the psych next to thinking, feeling, and sensation. In 1921, in this book, Jung proved to the world in rational argument that intuition was no longer a psychologist's hobby for table turning, but the most significant function of the psych. End quote. What is clear here is that intuition for Jung was something deeper and more profound than ordinary thinking. It connects us with a deeper level of consciousness, what he called the collective unconscious. And we did a whole episode on this back in episode 56. In other words, Intuition corresponds to what Hegel would call spirit. And this nicely corresponds as well to Gurdjieff's analogy of the horse-drawn carriage. Intuition would relate to the person in the coach, the master within, if you will. It is inside us, inside us all. And it's what gives us direction and purpose in our lives, the still small voice within you hear. Should we choose to listen? Now, we cannot see this person sitting in the coach, but it is to this one in the coach that the driver, the thinking, must get direction from. And this is a perfect analogy to Vernunft and Verstand, reason and understanding, and the right and left brain ways of thinking that we described way back in episode 10. Now, in today's world, most people do not recognize that there is someone inside the coach. The driver just ensures that the horse is fed and that the carriage is kept in shape. And this is a fundamental problem in the world today, as we've discussed so many times in these various episodes. I contend that life does have purpose, and we can get in touch with the source of that purpose to guide us and direct us in life. 
the master within, the still small voice within. Using the analogy of the horse-drawn carriage, the person inside the carriage. And it's just this person or entity that connects us to spirit. It is spirit that connects us to the collective unconscious, to the bigger picture of our purpose here. Now, many do not see this purpose. They deny there's anyone even in the carriage. They deny any underlying connection to others. Life to them is mechanical, separate, a random accident. And that is it. Now, let's go back to what I said in the beginning of the episode. In analyzing Jung's personality types and reviewing the work of Myers-Briggs, I've come up with a new dimension, a new polarity, which I call creative versus receptive. Let me explain how I developed it. First is background. I spent most of my professional career in the field of market research, studying what motivates people to buy certain goods and services. One of the most useful tools I found in developing marketing strategy was Jungian personality types. I even coined a phrase for marketing this way of looking at things, which I dubbed psych type. Let me cover some examples of how this worked in in the business world. In a study done for one of the fast food giants that I did, I found that their customers were not really motivated by the warm and fuzzy emotional appeal of their current advertising. And that what they were actually looking for, their customers, was a good meal at a good price served quickly. And the company was using an emotional feeler type campaign when a more rational, direct approach would have worked better. Another example was a large motel chain, and they were offering the rational benefits of a functional room at a great price to attract their business person clientele. What I found was that the business people that stayed in the chain responded to a more emotional appeal, a kind of your home away from home pitch. They travel a lot and want some warmth at where they stay. So the company ended up putting working fireplaces in each of the lobbies to enhance the emotional appeal. But anyway, here's what I've developed. First, I do agree with Young that each of us has a dominant function of the four, either intuition, thinking, feeling, or sensation. And this differs from Myers-Briggs, but I'm with Jung here. I also believe that each person has a secondary auxiliary function. He mentioned this, but he didn't use it in developing his eight types. He only said that the four were either expressed introvertedly or extrovertedly. I'm saying now, though, that if you take the person's primary function and add to it their secondary function, you now come up with eight types. Now, Let me give you an example. Again, going back to the cross example I used before. If one is standing in the middle of the cross facing their major function, the auxiliary function is either to the right side or to the left side of the one dominant function. And as I said, this produces eight types. Now, let me just list them. You don't have to memorize this, but the dominant one will be said first, then the secondary. So there are eight types. One, intuitive thinker. Two, intuitive feeler. Three, thinker-sensor. Four, thinker-intuitive. Five, sensor-feeler. Six, sensor-thinker. Seven, feeler-intuitive. Eight, feeler-sensor. Now, this is different from Jung's eight types, which are formed by taking each dominant function, as I said, and expressing it extrovertedly or introvertedly. What I'm doing is putting the dominant and the secondary function as the primary categories. And Each of these four dominant functions is paired with two possible secondary functions. So I hope this is clear. Now, going back to Hegel, I believe that two of the functions, the intuitive and the thinking, are superior. They're a higher level, a higher order 
than the two other functions, feeling and sensing. And this is pretty obvious. Is most pet owners realize most higher animals have emotions. And most living things have some physical sense of what's going on about them. Intuition and reason are what separates us from the animals. They are our highest functions. So based on this and Hegel's work, I came up with another dimension, a lower and a higher polarity, which I gave the name of creative and receptive. Intuition and thinking are the creative functions, and feelings and sensations are the more receptive. Of course, we all use four functions. The question is which ones dominate and which ones are suppressed. And this new dimension of creative-receptive, I believe, is equally valid as the other dimensions of introvert-extrovert and judger-perceiver. Now, I'm not disregarding the other two dimensions of judging-perceiving or introvert-extrovert that Myers-Briggs uses. In fact, each of my eight types can be further profiled along those two additional dimensions as well. But because of the way I've set it up, the way I've formed this, you still end up with eight types automatically. Uh, so whatever you pick as your primary and your secondary, that automatically tells you where you land on the judging, perceiving, or introvert, extrovert dimension. Let me show you how this works. The creative side contains both the intuitor and the thinker. And there are two cases of this. The intuitive thinker, where the intuitive is dominant and the thinker secondary, and the thinker intuitive, where the thinker is dominant and the intuitive secondary. In the intuitive thinker, the intuitive is dominant, so the person would be more of a perceiver, because that's intuitive is classified as a perception. And intuition is classified as a perceiver, as I just said, rather than a judgment function in the Myers-Briggs. And likewise, the thinker intuitive, with the thinker being dominant, would be more of a judger than perceiver, because thinking comes first, and it is more of a judgmental function than a perceiving function. Now, in addition, one can also map the introvert-extrovert dimension onto the four functions. Introvert being represented by the intuitive function and the feeling function, and extrovert being represented by the sensation function and thinking function. So the intuitive thinker would also be a perceiver and an introvert, and the thinker intuitive would also be a judger and an extrovert. But again, you still only have eight types based on dominant and secondary functions. And the introvert, extrovert, and judger-perceiver categories fall, as I have shown. Now, I do recognize it's very tough to keep track of this. And again, let me go back to the cross example. Um, put intuition at the top again, sensation at the bottom, thinking at the right, and feelings at the left. The vertical line, the up and down line, is the perceiver dimension. The horizontal line is the judgmental dimension. Now... Let's connect the four points on the outside as a diamond, as in a diamond or rhombus. Now, the, right, the upper right line is the creative dimension consisting of intuition and thinking. The lower left line is the receptive dimension consisting of feeling, feelings and sensations. The upper left line is the introvert dimension consisting of intuition and feelings. And the lower right line is the extrovert dimension consisting of thinking and sensation. So what I've done is I've kept the four primary functions of intuition, thinking, feeling, and sensation, and I've mapped three different dimensions on top of that. First, the creative reception dimension, which I've discussed. Next, the perceiver-judger dimension, which I've discussed. And then the introvert-extrovert -extro dimension, which I've discussed. And there you have it. Now, 
perhaps I can share some diagrams. Again, I realize this is tough to visualize when I'm just hearing the spoken word. Um, hopefully, I can put it up on the Facebook page, maybe even on the Patreon page, so you can visualize this. And it, it, it's tough just hearing me talk about it. But let me summarize. I am postulating a new dimension to the Jungian Myers-Briggs functions and dimensions of personality, what I call the creative receptive dimension. I struggled with what to call this and ended up with the creative receptive, which I borrowed from the I Ching, to be honest, which the I Ching calls these the creative and the receptive, the two primary forces in the universe. And this is symbolized in the yin-yang symbol. And I believe it ties directly to Hegel's mind with a nature as spirit. And I also believe this creative receptive dimension is a fundamental aspect of one's personality. Some seem to be born with no or little capacity for creativity, and others live by it. Now, I believe that creativity, freedom, spirit is what moves the world forward in terms of improvement, albeit very slowly with fits and starts. That is why it is so important to keep the figurative fight alive, to fight for the ascendancy of mind and spirit and creativity and freedom. Now, when I say fight, I don't believe that this is actually accomplished by direct confrontations with others and arguments. I believe it's more a matter of asking others to keep an open mind, to show them why an open mind is a preferred um, state, and to, to tell them to go where the evidence leads them and where their gut leads them. So, to summarize... We have reviewed Carl Jung's pioneer work in personality type, and I showed how this is similar to the horse-drawn carriage analogy of George Gurdjieff, and how Jung's work was picked up and extended by Myers-Briggs, which is in wide use even today. And I also showed how I believe that a new dimension emerges from these four functions. Yes, a new dimension, one not covered by Jung or Myers-Briggs, that of the creative receptive dimension, which is one of the most one of the oldest, most powerful dimensions known, symbolizing the fundamental duality of yin and yang, of mind and nature, of substance and subject, of being and nothing. And yet, as the yin-yang symbol shows, this fundamental duality is actually a unity, identity in difference. And also, as the yin-yang symbol shows, there is a small circle within the yin which symbolizes the yang within it, and a small circle within the yang which symbolizes the yin within it. Look at the symbol again, you'll see it. As with the personality types, it's, this is not an either-or. It is just that one pole of a dimension is dominant, conscious, while the other exists, but it's unconscious. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening once again. Please like the podcast Facebook page, at Cunning of Geist, and follow me on Twitter as well, Gregory Novak, at Cunning of Geist. And if you care to help support the show, we now have a Patreon site. As I mentioned last episode, you can reach it under the, a support the show link wherever you get this podcast. And references and possibly some diagrams, hopefully some diagrams will be posted within a day or two on the Facebook page. And uh, please do check that Facebook page because I often comment in between episodes there quite frequently. Don't forget to tell your like-minded friends about the Cunning of Guys podcast. Help spread the word. Thanks again. This is Gregory Novak. This is the Cunning of Geist. We'll see you next time.